Well, today we're starting a four-week series called Unwrapping Christmas, and I love the Christmas season. I know it's a rainy day and filled by night tonight, but I want to assure you, one, please come. Um, we will have it rain or shine, as opposed to those who've been here for a while. When we used to do everything out on the field, it's nice that we can have this room to do our celebration, our program, and we'll just, if it's bad weather, we'll just stay put. We'll stay in here and serve in here. So please know that we are going to be prepared either way and uh, just be praying, inviting that people will come and be a part of everything. So today, five o'clock, feel by night. If you're serving, be here by four, please. That'd be great because this is truly a Christmas party for our community. This is an opportunity, and for those who have been here for many years, I think, I think this is our 21st year minus 2020 when we did not do it, 21st year, maybe 22nd of doing it. And it's just uh, on the good weather nights, even bad weather nights, it just this room is full with people, and it's a Christmas party for all those around. And so Christmas is just an awesome time, lights and trees and gifts. And, and speaking of gifts, uh, Braden uh, is going to come up here. Where's he at? Where, where, where do I see? Oh, there you are. Braden's going to come up here and help me with an illustration for a second. All right. So Dad's going to come up here. So maybe if, if Braden's not sure of the answer, we can ask you, right? Oh, you're going to stay down there. Okay. Can I get this mic on, Richard, right here for Braden? All right. So I don't know about you, but um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip mine off and turn this one on for a minute. Okay. So I don't, <clears throat> I don't know about um, you, Braden, but when I was a kid... I really struggled with lyrics with Christmas songs, it, songs in general. In fact, my kids still make fun of me to this day because of my bad lyrics and the things that I say in songs. Anybody like that? Because I love to sing. I'll be singing out, but I'll be singing the wrong words. Any parents guilty of that? All right. So you're going to help me out for a second here, Braden. All right. So, you know, I'm going to give you a prize either way. So don't feel bad if you don't know the answer. Right. So Christmas song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Glory to the newborn king, peace on earth, and glory, uh, I'm sorry, and mercy, yeah, I miss it, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners, all right, let me, let me give you another chance, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners, sinners? you know what I thought it was when I was a kid, when I sing? Dressed in style. I would sing that. God and sinners dressed in style. Does that help you know what the real word is? Uh, it's, it's a big word. I'm not sure. Reconciled. All right, so the next time you sing that, you remember this illustration. All right, so I, gotta, I told you I had a prize for you. So here's an Advent coloring book. All right, so enjoy that. All right, thanks a lot, man. Shake my hand. Give him a big hand, all right? Thank you. God and sinners reconciled. Wow. Um, maybe it's not a word even as an adult that you obviously use very often. It's not a word that we throw around much outside of church. What does it mean to be reconciled? Reconciled means to make good again, to repair, to restore, to make right. Reconciled, to make right. And so when we think about unpacking and unwrapping Christmas, I'm sorry, we, we think about Jesus coming to reconcile us to God, to restore us in right relationship with God. And as we look around our culture, even though Christmas is, you know, people commercially are getting set up for Christmas earlier and earlier every year, we know, those who have been alive for a while, we know that Jesus has been taking a smaller and smaller role in culture when it comes to Christmas and what it's truly about. 
And, you know, I, I want to encourage you, you know, I know that sometimes that can make us angry and we can get mad and, you know, we walk into a store and they're like, happy holidays. And you're like, Merry Christmas. Right. And you're like, I'm making a point here, political point. It's Jesus birthday. Right. And I want to encourage you not to be upset, but to be a joyful ambassador and display this amazing gift of reconciliation that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so today's more of a topical message, and we're going to be in Romans mostly. And I'm going to read for you Romans chapter 5, verse 17, to talk about this amazing gift of reconciliation that God has done for us in Jesus. Verse 17, it says, For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So God has given us the free gift of grace, abundance of grace, talked about that last week, and the gift of righteousness through Jesus Christ. And so today, I'm going to pray, and as we look at this text, I, I'm going to encourage you to invite the Holy Spirit to truly unwrap for you, in your mind, in your heart, in your life, what it means to have the gift of righteousness given to you because of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. We'll look at this. Father God, we thank you for this day, thank you for everyone who um, is committed to you and to your kingdom work to get up this morning to come here, God, to learn more about what it means to represent you, to live for you in this world. And God, we um, know, and as was mentioned earlier, it's, there's so much evil and death and sin in this world. And God, I pray you'll help us to see ourselves as you see us, as ambassadors for righteousness. And God, I pray that we will live our lives differently from the culture, the community, that people will look at our lives and see you, Father, because of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. If we're going to really unwrap Christmas, we have to go way back. It's way back to the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God, right? In the beginning, God. The Christmas story begins in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God. God being infinite, almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, and completely holy. And he chose to reveal himself to his creation in some ways. His word is the primary way that God chose specifically to reveal who he is. Way back in the beginning, God created everything, but he revealed himself to us through his word. And he also revealed his, himself through other forms of revelation. We have nature we have the image of God in humanity. We'll talk about it in a second. But God created us for his pleasure. So get that in your mind. God created us. He is the one who spoke us into existence for his pleasure. And humans have a special place in God's creation. We go oftentimes by the Latin word imago Dei, which means the image of God. Men and women were created, God said, in his image. And interestingly enough, as opposed to many pagan religions... And throughout history, all the religions that existed, the supreme ruler of that religion only gave his image to those who were the powerful rulers of that religion or those who were over that religion. But the scripture teaches that all human beings bear the image of God. And so we specifically bear God's image. And also scripture teaches that we're not 
this deity, this God who, or gods as religions would say, who created people as his little playthings to do what he wants to do with it. The Judeo-Christian concept of humanity is imago Dei, created in the image of God. We bear the image of God. And, and some scholars will, will talk about this as maybe like an angled mirror. And so while it's not a perfect reflection of God, us, that it's an angled mirror that when people are seen, when people look at, at humanity, in some way they see God. They understand that God is who he says he is in his word and that he exists and he created us. I think about maybe the idea of like a, the, Mo, the Mona Lisa, right? So the Mona Lisa, probably the world's most famous painting, but you have many, many people who attempt or try to paint the, the Mona Lisa. There's copies of the Mona Lisa, but there's only one original Mona Lisa, but there's many, many um, images of that original. Why? Because it honors the original through reproducing it. And point, so an image makes, it glorifies the original. And so as God created us in his image, like, like, he created, like someone created the Mona Lisa, it points to, images are created to image. And so it points to and glorifies God. And so in God's original creation, there was this perfect harmony. There was Adam and Eve in the garden. We go way back to the beginning because if you want to unwrap Christmas, you have to understand what occurred and what happened. And maybe you're thinking, well, I know the story. But do you know the story? Do you understand really truly what was lost and what God has done through Jesus Christ, because when we really understand what was done through Christ on the cross in the empty grave, it changes everything about us. And so in the garden, there was intimacy with God and his creation, a genuine relationship with the creator and the created. And of course, we know that Adam and Eve sinned and brought death and sin, and it passed to all people. So God's image in humanity was distorted. It was distorted. So think about it. A mirror. The mirror was shattered. Or the Mona Lisa was distorted. And so that in humanity, when we see others and we see, uh, as we look around this room, we see people and people who re represent Jesus Christ, who people who look and, and mirror God, but not perfectly because of sin. But in Christ, God intervenes. And if God was not just... There would have been no demand for Jesus to come and be born of a virgin, be born on this earth. And if God was not loving, there would be no willingness to send Jesus to suffer and die. And so God, being both just and loving, sends Jesus Christ to his creation. So ponder that for a second. We, we talk about Emmanuel, God with us. We talk about that Jesus came to be born of a virgin we sing about it throughout Christmas, but we have to admit that this can be something we hear so much, so often, that we really lack an appreciation that God, creator God, holy God, comes to his creation and dies for us. His justice and his love on perfect display through Jesus Christ. If you allow your mind just to go there and sit there for a while, it's just beyond comprehension. And these supernatural truths that we sing about, about Jesus being born of a virgin. What is that about? Why did Jesus have to be born of a virgin, conceived in the womb of his mother by the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit? Why is that important? 
through the work of the Holy Spirit, Mary the human and the divine were united in a way that will never ever be seen in any other person in history. The virgin birth is so important that it preserves the truth that Jesus is both fully God and fully man at the same time. So his eternal holy nature was present in his all eternity, eternity past, but his physical body he received from Mary and he had no sin. He was biological, not because his biological father we know was the Holy Spirit, was not, was not his dad on earth. All right, Joseph was not his biological dad. Why is that the, important? It's important because Jesus did not have a sinful nature. Why does that matter? Why does it matter that Jesus did not have a sinful nature? If you think back to last week, we talked a lot about the law. We talked about grace. And I said, we get back to this this week, that the law is there. And Paul talked about how the law condemns, the law brings death. Well, here's how this ties together, okay? Only a perfect human could perfectly keep God's law and perfectly fulfill God's law, thereby redeeming us from the guilt and the justice that we deserved. So Jesus accomplished our redemption on the cross. He exchanged our sin for his perfect righteousness. So only a perfect God could do that for us. Fulfill the law, God's holy standard, perfect standard. And so I want to unwrap that this morning. I really want us to, to think through this this morning. If I, you know, thinking back as a kid, any kids guilty of this? Got kids in the room for Family Worship Sunday. All right, so I thought that I was pretty smart with my parents that I, like, they loved Christmas. They loved putting a lot of presents on the tree. And what I would do is I thought I could be really sneaky and go and just like pull apart the, the, the wrapping at the seam, right, the tape, just a little bit and look under the box to see what I was looking, you know, was going to get for Christmas Day. And I could put that back perfectly as a, you know, seven-year-old kid and my parents would never know. I'm sure they knew, right? Any, any kids do that? You're like kind of, you can't help it. You're just so impatient. You got to look at the gift and see what it is. Nobody's going to be honest because your parents are sitting right down the road with you, right? All right. So, so kids do that because we're impatient. We're, we're, we can't wait for Christmas Day to arrive. So as I look at God's plan, and as I think about God's plan for redemption, we realize that God is nothing like us. He's very patient in bringing about his plan of redemption. As we read the Old Testament, it's like God is working. What is he doing? What's the purpose of all this? The law and the Israelites and their failure to keep God's commands. I kind of really relate to Paul Tripp when he writes in New Morning Mercies. He said, when I read through the Old Testament, I am blown away by the extent of God's patience. I have often thought that if I were in control, given my degree of impatience, Adam and Eve would have fallen in the morning, Jesus would have come in the afternoon, and then died and risen again that evening, right? That's the way we would operate. So why was God so patient in unwrapping his plan? Let's go to Romans chapter three, flip to Romans, over to Romans chapter three, and look at verses 19 through 20. We're gonna be in Romans three for a minute. Romans 3, Paul writes, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So in Romans chapter 3, Paul states that all people are under sin. Why did this matter? 
because he's writing here with the Jews in mind here. He's saying, Jewish people, you're in no better position than those pagan Gentiles. Yes, you were given this great advantage. You were given the law. You were given the prophets. You're God's chosen people. The Messiah will come through Israel. But they had no advantages when it came to God's judgment against sin. And look, look back in verse 9. Paul says this, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. And if you look in your Bible at the verses that follow, Paul gives this series of quotes, mostly from the Psalms in the Old Testament, pointing to this universal sinfulness that exists. And he's saying, I'm not coming up with this on my own, right? I'm not, this is not me coming up with this new theology. Look in the Bible. Look in the Old Testament. Look at what God says. And the purpose of all these quotes is to show that all means all. So let's read verse 19 again. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those that are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. In Paul's world, if you were on trial and had nothing more to say in your defense, here's what you would do. You'd put your hand over your mouth. I have nothing else to say. But just like people today who ramble on and go on and go on, sometimes people would do that and the court official would actually just strike the defendant right in the mouth so they would just shut up. They would stop talking. They wouldn't say anything else in their defense. And so with that picture in mind, look at verse 19 again. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. Every mouth may be stopped. So he says, put your hand over your mouth. If you won't put your hand over your mouth, I'll slap you right in the mouth because the truth is the law shows the moral commands of the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, show that no one can be justified through their works and their actions and their attempts at morality. It just doesn't happen. The law tells us what sin is, and it stops us from proclaiming our own righteousness. God's righteous law is to convince the world of their sin. And I love what D.L. Moody said hundreds of years ago about this. He says, the law stops every man's mouth. I can always tell a man is near the kingdom of God. His mouth is stopped. This then is why God gives us the law, to show us ourselves in our true colors. And so the law, it points people, all people are guilty and must face God's judgment. That's unwrapping Christmas. That's what Christmas is all about. And so that's why Paul can say in verse 20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And so these Jewish people who thought they were, because they were recipients of the law, they had this privileged position, they were on this high moral ground, but Paul says the law reveals that no one can measure up to God's holy standard. They fall short. And Israel has 1,400 years of law-breaking after Moses gave them the law in order to prove the point that Paul is making that, nope, you can't do it, Right? 1,400 years, we would have sped through that. Hey, God knew what was going to happen. People would not be able to keep the law. Paul says the history of the law is to point Israel and all people, for that matter, to the fact that you don't measure up. 
Exhibit A, case in point, legal kind of mindset Paul had. Look at the evidence here. There's no way that you can say that you've earned it or deserve it in any way, shape, or form. 1,400 years of law-breaking. And so if we go back to our text from last week, which I left hanging, I did not explain exactly why Paul was saying what he was saying in verse 6 and 7 and 8 of our text, but look at it again. He says, for the letter kills, but he contrasts that, but the Spirit gives life. You remember the chart I had last week showing the contrast? Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, Moses went up to Mount Sinai, brought back the tablets that God wrote in with his very finger, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? So let's be clear here. Paul's not disparaging the Mosaic Law or the Mosaic Covenant. Like I said, God wrote this with his very hand himself. But God granted a gift to Israel when he intervened in history and he provided a written expression of his will. And so what does Paul mean by the letter kills? The Old Testament law, which was good and perfect, reveals all people as lawbreakers. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. The law kills in that the penalty for breaking God's law is eternal death in hell. And so we see the proper use of God's law is to see God's holiness, his perfect standard, and it brings conviction to all people if they're honest. In fact, let me just read through what would be the apex of the Ten Commandments, which is, I mean, of the law, which would be the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. When we think about the weight of the law, we know that it all it shows that every single human being has fallen short. I love what Pastor Tony Evans says. He says, think of the law as the mirror that shows you who you really are. While a mirror reveals your messed up hair, you don't pull it off the wall and brush your hair with it. Mirrors don't fix anything. They show us what needs fixing. The law was not designed to fix you, but to reveal what needs fixing. And we can all agree with Romans chapter 3 and with 2 Corinthians that we all fall short of God's holy and righteous standard. I doubt anybody would argue about that in this room, but in case you would, there was a guy that came up to Jesus who thought that he was doing pretty well. We call him the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and he said, I've kept all these things. I've been pretty good, Jesus. I've just done a great job. I've kept the law about as perfectly as you can. And Jesus, I can imagine, I haven't seen The Chosen. A lot of you talk about, I need to watch The Chosen, but I'm sure I'd love to see the scene in there because I can imagine Jesus is looking at him, had pity in his eye, but at the same time, he probably just like, you know, had a smirk on his face because he said, this guy, he really thinks he's righteous. The problem was, you know, he considered himself faultless. That Jesus, is, Jesus challenges that. What does he tell the, the young man? He says, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. 
And he says, then come and follow me. And what happened next? Scripture tells us that the younger man, he went away very sad because he had great wealth. So what did Jesus expose about the rich young ruler? Was he exposing the fact that all of us need to take a vow of poverty, sell everything that we have, and give it away? No. He was showing this young man that he's to have no other gods before Jesus. If he was going to follow Jesus, he had to be willing to give up his possessions because that was his God. He failed in the very first commandment, did he not? To have no other God before me. And if you really just think about just commandment number one, we would probably relate very much to the rich young ruler that money, activity, leisure, recreation, other people's opinions of us, all these things rank actually practically very high in our minds. And if we really realize the level that the law calls us to, how could anyone not say what the disciples asked Jesus next in verse 25? When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who can be saved, Jesus? Jesus, that guy is very impressive. We're not that impressive. Who in the world can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. You see, God was about to bring about the redemption, reconciliation. Jesus does not at this time explain how God would bring it about, but through his death on the cross for the sins of humanity, God provided reconciliation. He says, you, you have no excuse. You can't, you know, be quiet. Shut your mouth. You can't do it. If your eyes are anything else other than Jesus, they're in the wrong place. Is it on your righteousness? Is it on your church attendance? Is it on how much good you do or that you don't do as much as that other person? Our eyes have to be on Jesus Christ. And so as we unwrap Christmas and we read like verses which are very, we hear a lot during the Christmas season, for unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, Christ the Lord. When you hear that verse for the millionth time in your life, do you appreciate the fact that God came? God didn't send an angel. He didn't send a messenger. God came himself for his creation. It's amazing, amazing, amazing truth that grace and mercy came for us. And when Jesus came, he perfectly fulfilled that law that we could not fulfill he did what we could not do. He paid the price for breaking the law, which is eternal death. He paid the price. He took on the punishment that we deserve. He took on the justice of God and in turn gives us the righteousness that we could never earn on our own. So if you're in here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, look, you're not going to do well, on your own, right? You can argue for your righteousness. You can say you're pretty good. You can say, like, I'm not near as bad as those people who do all that stuff on the weekends. I'm a pretty good person. If you're in high school, maybe you think, well, you know, I'm, I'm here today, right? I'm doing all right. Most of my friends are not, home, are not here. They're at home sleeping. So I'm doing pretty well. You need a Savior. You can't do it on your own. 
I love what Paul writes in Romans chapter 7, verse 6. But now we are released from the law. Those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, he says, you're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. Why? So we can serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. The freedom to be joyful ambassadors. The image of God distorted in humanity, but Jesus comes and he's progressively restoring that in each one of his children. You've been adopted into his family if you've placed your faith in Jesus. He's given you his spirit. He's declared you righteous and holy. It's not about keeping the rules to earn his favor. His favor has been granted to you 100% fully in Jesus Christ. Something you could never do on your own. And now we serve in a new way of the spirit and not the old way of the written code. The key to living the Christian life is very different now. The law brings death. Jesus brings life. And that's why in Colossians 3.10, this is our, this is our, our takeaway, is a verse. That Paul writes, he says, and have put on the new self, which has been being renewed in knowledge after what? The image of our creator. You think about that at Christmas time. Do you think about unwrapping this idea of God with us, that Jesus came, that he's restoring progressively that image. So as people see you, they see God more and more. They see you reflect the glory of God. What a challenge, right? What a challenge. But Paul says we can do that through his strength, through his power, not on ourselves. Keeping our eye upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's what we do. And so this, this heart application, which we put this, and I know, again, we say head, heart, hands every week. But the head is, this, this is the information that you can store right here. This is the truth. The truth is the law brings death, but Jesus brings life. Most of you probably are like, check, I got that. How about the heart allowing this to sink in, that God has reconciled us to himself so that we might be conformed to the image of his son? Do you believe that in your heart, that God is progressively conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ, that God is doing that work in you? And so that you can then reflect him. And so the application, the hands application, here should be our prayer. Teach me what it means to be the new self. Teach me what it means to have the spirit living within me and that I'm living in a way that reflects God and the reason I was created in the beginning. This intimacy that I can now have because of Jesus Christ and what he did for us that he restored what was broken in that garden. And so now we can reflect him, not in a perfect way, but in a way that's way beyond our capacity. It's because the spirit lives in us and through us. And so this is a very practical application. You know, it's in your notes, it's on the app. Maybe if you're not following along, you need to write it down. Will you make that your prayer this week? Teach me what it means to be the new self. Teach me. Holy Spirit, teach me today what it means to be the new self. Because in my, in my flesh, I'm going to fall into just doing what I want to do and living the way I want to live. 
But I want to remember through the Spirit's prompting, through the power of the Spirit, and through the Word of God, that what God is doing is, is making me new day by day to reflect his glory and to enjoy his presence. And that's why I, I love this quote by John Calvin, because it really takes us to Scripture and helps us see that the Holy Spirit and Scripture work hand in hand. I, I said that last week in tandem. We ought zealously to apply ourselves to read Scripture if indeed we want to receive any gain and benefit from the Spirit of God. Let's be in the Word, knowing the Word, memorizing the Word, letting it soak over us. This is, this is Holy Spirit inspired. Do you believe that? That Holy Spirit breathed this out to the apostles, and they wrote it down. And we have it here today, and this is life. And the Spirit takes the Word of God and uses the word of God in our life to change us. Do you believe that? Will that be your prayer? Teach me what it means to be the new self. I pray that it will be your anthem, your cry, your heart, that you'll write that down as you spend time with God, even as you're driving in the car, as you're taking the kids from point A to point B, Teach me, God, what it means to be the new self. This world needs ambassadors for Jesus. You know, just left to ourselves, things can go so, so terribly wrong. And we've seen it in our community, we've seen it in our church, that left to ourselves, we make a big mess of everything. Teach me what it means to be the new self. I want to reflect you, God. That's my heart's cry. More than making money, more than finding success, more than having the perfect family, more than having my kid play sports in college, my heart's cry is that I would represent you by allowing the Spirit to teach me what it means to be the new self. That will change our community. We'll be ambassadors with joy on our face. And somebody says, happy holidays. And we say, Jesus, man, he's awesome. He's the reason why we celebrate. It's not angry. It's not political. It's not vindictive. We give all glory to Jesus Christ. He's changed us. And the law can point to them and show that they need Jesus as well. Father God, we thank you for your word that gives us such truth. It's amazing your plan that you've worked from the beginning. God, it blows our mind. Just, just one facet about the, your creation, about your plan of salvation blows our mind. Yet there's page after page, just astonishing realities that we can let go through one ear and out the other, that we just fail to see the significance. And God, help us to remember that Christ is in us, and that's our hope of glory. And help us to allow you to work in and through us this week to be joyful ambassadors for you. In Jesus' powerful, strong name we pray.